Our Father in heaven, it's just a joy again to be here this morning. We count it just one of your graces we can gather around your word and with your people. And we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be alive and among us today and enlighten us and cause us to understand the scriptures and understand their practical use in our life. And we pray as we speak about love today that we'll do it well and do it rightly. And that we will uh, live a life that is filled with love for one another and love for you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I always like to, when I go to a Sunday school class, when I'm not teaching anyway, and when I'm listening to someone preach, like my goal usually is like I want two or three takeaways from that particular teaching time. So I encourage you to do the same. I, as I go through this, I'm like, uh, there's a lot here, but the Holy Spirit knows what you need, and hope, hopefully you've been praying that that you will be <clears throat> spoken to by Him today through the Word, and that He'll direct you and correct you, teach you, instruct you, reprove you, encourage you how He needs to. Uh, this has been a this has been a really impactful study for me. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the book uh, Maximum Impact by Wayne Mack, which I need to have us order for our, our resource center. Anyway, this is really, has really been a good book. And there's so much about love. It's a, it's a huge subject. So that's why I'm really praying today to just get two or three good takeaways that you can find useful for this upcoming week. and and uh, just uh, apply what we're learning uh, as well as we can. So just to give you a little bit of uh, background, we've been, Brock and I have been going through faith, hope, and love, and we're in the love part of it. And just want to go back to 1 Corinthians 12.31 where Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way. The way that the Corinthians were living church life was one of factions and division and competition and jealousy and disunity and disorder of all kinds. And they were aspiring to have the best, what they considered the best gift, which were the showy gifts, particularly the ones speaking in languages and tongues. And they had become uh, just kind of a circus, actually. So Paul's trying to set them straight. And so I'm going to show you more excellent way, I want to show you the way of love. So in the first three verses, we talked about how if you had all knowledge, if you had all um, faith, you could remove mountains, if you could speak in angelic tongues, if you could speak in the languages of men, if you f- could foretell the future, if you gave your body to be burned, and if you sacrificed everything you had to give to the poor or to charity, If you had nothing, if you had not love, it would be nothing. So he really kind of just lays them bare. Like you guys are aspiring to good things, but they become a bad thing. When they become a ruling thing, you have to have them. It's at the expense of love. Look at your church. It is a mess. So he's trying to set them straight. This is how church life should be lived. And it's interesting that uh, several commentators have made this point that the 
best definition of love in the scriptures basically is here in 1 Corinthians 13, or at least it's parsed out really well. And it's to the church, and it's more about how churches relate to one another. Not that it's not for individuals and for married couples, but it's really a lot about relationships within the church. So it's very practical, uh, very useful for us, and um, I think hopefully as we get into these 15 perfections of love, we've done one so far, that we will all benefit from it. So Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way, and, he, and we've looked at, in verses 4 through 7, we've looked at love is patient. And um, just to briefly look at that one again, we can say that God is patient. Patient is to be long-suffering. I think the best definition is long-tempered. You have a long fuse has to burn a long time before it burns down. God is said to be long-suffering or long-tempered or patient in 2 Peter 3.9. He's, he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then we looked at 1 Thessalonians 5.14, that patience is very needful in the church is very practical where Paul told them to admonish the unruly that's warn those who are disobedient to encourage faint-hearted people to uphold those who are weak in faith and then he said be long-tempered or be patient or long-suffering with everyone so we are to be patient long-tempered even with those who continue to have struggles in areas of sinfulness their own life and with others as well and with those who constantly seem like they're discouraged we are to be patient that is the love the loving thing to do is to be long-suffering with them even those who seem to be weak in faith so God demonstrates it and shows shows us love and then we get to apply it in in our life with one another. So the second one, and it's on page, I guess my page is not numbered. Is that page five or what? Page five, okay. Love is kind, perfection number two. So just quickly, one or two, what comes to your mind when you think of kindness or being a kind person? What does that mean? Silence is kind of good because it means maybe you don't know. Maybe we're going to find out from the scriptures. But I know you know. It's like, what would you say kind, being a kind person is? Kindness. Words that are not harsh. Not harsh? Yeah. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Giving. Giving, yeah. And giving is, it's... Kindness is not kindness until it's done, until you actually act. So it is uh, very much a verb. It's very much actual, actually doing it. So I like this definition. I pulled some of these from uh, Precept Austin. It's from a word which means useful, gracious, kind, and is related to another word which means to furnish what is needed it means provide something beneficial for someone as an act of kindness 
It's an attitude of being willing to help or assist, rendering gracious, well-disposed service to others. It's active goodwill. Again, it's not just thinking it, it's actually doing it. It doesn't just feel generous, it is generous. <coughs> uh, gentle in behavior. This would be much what Emily said, not a harsh person, but a gentle person in behavior. I found it interesting in the second century, the example of Christian love was so stunning to the pagans that they referred to Christians not as Christiani, but Christiani, or however you say that. Those made up of mildness or kindness. In looking into this word, there is a certain level of mildness to somebody who is kind. There's not a harsh way about them. There's a very a sweet, mild, kind way. One person said that kindness is Christianity with its working clothes on. Another person said it would be of a helpful nature. And I think this is really one that I, that I liked on a practical level. It brings relief to those in tough circumstances. So if you see a brother or sister or sense in tough circumstances and you're able to bring relief to them, that's a kind act or a good act, an act of kindness. I know from looking out in this group, I know some of you are very good at that. You see brothers or sisters who are in trial or suffering, and you're very good about bringing relief to them. That's being useful. That's being kind. It's being thoughtful and helpful. Can you guys think of some scriptures that speak of either God's kindness or our own um, need to be kind just right off hand I want to kind of break it down into two areas like God models kindness to us look at some scriptures that, that are that and we'll look at how we live out in a godlike way in godliness, that kindness. I think it Romans 2 4. It says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Mm -hmm. Romans 2 4. It's God's kindness that leads you to repentance, his goodness. And you could say he saw us in tough circumstances, right? We were lost without hope. And in his kindness, he led us and gave us repentance. Ephesians 4.32. Good one. This applies to us now. What's that say, Carol? Oh, you want me to say? Oh, God. Yeah. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Yeah. So the kindness of God in forgiving us, we in like manner should be kind and tenderhearted. Maria, do you have one? I read that. Yeah, Titus 3, 4, and 5. When the kindness of God, our Savior, uh, appeared, saved us. In that verse, kindness is really identified as a person. Our Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. It's identified as a person. You guys are getting some good ones here. <coughs> 
turn to Luke 6.35. As we tur are turning there, I've got a question for you. To whom should our kindness be directed? What groups of people? So that question in mind, let's let's look at Luke six thirty five. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the most high, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. So I, I think a lot of times we're thinking we have to be nice to not to those people who aren't nice or our enemies or are unthankful, evil people. But that's not what Jesus taught. We're to be kind to unthankful and evil people. We're to do good to them. Now, obviously, Paul did right. Do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. So that's especially where our kindness should be shown in the church community. But I think this is one that, that trips us a lot. Like, oftentimes I feel, I'm just going to say this honestly, I might, might feel justified in my mind about not being kind to somebody who's a wicked, evil man. Or at least appears to be, and is. But very convicting. The Lord, Lord God is kind to unthankful and evil people. And you'll be sons of Him when you do that. You'll be sons of the Most High. One more scripture I want to turn to on kindness is Matthew 11.30. I really like it when I... This is a very uh, familiar verse to myself and probably to you as well. I always like it when you get a little deeper into it and, and find out that there's even more in the verse than, than I originally thought. Luke 6.35. Or no, see, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew 11.30. Matthew 11.30. Jesus is speaking to weary uh, people burdened by law-keeping and kind of uh, at the end, you know, they're, they're beat down. They're, they're very weary. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word easy is a cousin word to kind or kindness. And Jesus is saying, I'm kind, I'm mild, I'm uh, not harsh like the law. I'm not uh, wearisome. I'm not going to beat you down if you come and take my yoke upon you. It's it's a light yoke. It's an easy, it's a kind, it's a mild <clears throat> yoke. And of course it's one of grace, the gift of the gift of grace to us. 
So I, I love that uh, description of Christ being that way. Uh, one other practical expression of kindness in Scripture is Galatians 6.10. I referred to that earlier. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is a, a verse that encourages us to be kind to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. It essentially says, as we have opportunity. So oftentimes we have opportunity, but do we go ahead and act? And that's what kindness does. Act actually does it. So anybody, any thoughts on kindness as one of the perfections of love? Perhaps you've never thought of love defined as kind, but if you know a kind person, that person is a loving person. I think it'd probably be good too if we just look at the opposites of kindness as well. Sometimes that I found that helps give a little more insights if you want to turn to the next page. But you think of any, I think Emily's got one early, harsh, this is an antonym or an opposite. Anybody else have any words that you would use? Demeaning or cruel? Yeah, cruel, demeaning. Cruel's definitely, it's, it's at the top of some list that I looked at. Severe, stern, harsh, didn't mention. Pitiless, like somebody doesn't have any pity. Uh, quick tempered. Quick tempered, yep. Disagreeable. One that I think our kind of is in our world, like being nice or kind. Nice and kind are different. I mean, kind is a more a focused definition. But in our in our culture, it's like either nice or you're mean. Well, I think you're either kind or you're mean or cruel. So it'd be a be an opposite as well. Anybody else have any anything? Will. Probably bitter. Yeah. Exactly. Could be thrown in there. As well, maybe impatient. Impatient. Yeah, because sometimes when you minister to somebody who's in some tough circumstances, might have been because of their own foolishness or ignorance, or might have been not. But sometimes it's easy to get impatient with people when they repeatedly put themselves in some tough circumstances. So kindness. Is kind of related to facial features and how they look. So maybe grumpy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, Emily. That's good. <clears throat> so in case you didn't hear, facial features, uh, grumpy looking, can kind of uh, tell you what's on the inside. Wayne Mack had some and one reason I like this book a lot is because it gives you very practical applications. But he talks about Proverbs 30, 31, 26, which ladies, I know it's Father's Day, but ladies, we're going to talk about a few a little bit. Proverbs 31, 26 says of the ideal wife mother, 
She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So here kindness is demonstrated by the way this woman talks to her family. I found that really interesting. Just a, a real practical application of, of love. Husbands, you didn't get off. Colossians 3.19, husbands are told that bitterness is the opposite of kindness. I think Will, I think you're the one that said that. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Stated positively, love your wives and be kind to them. I like the way he said that. Will, did you have your hand up? I was going to say, too, sarcasm can be dangerous. Sometimes it can be witty, but sometimes it can also be used as an unkind thing. Yeah, I thought of that. It's good. And our and sarcasm's kind of exalted, you know, on I don't watch them. Haven't for years, don't care to. Despise them actually. Late night talk shows and all those guys are more sarcastic you can be, the more biting and cutting and cute. Let's see if there's another one or two in here I might look at. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So here kindness is suffering with others and rejoicing with them when they are, when they are blessed. All of the bitter and envy and jealousy negative responses of kindness take on an active stance of someone responding in a way that exalts their self prior to considering thinking a selfless position. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kindness is an act of love because it is giving up of self and looking at others and not, not being self-centered. It's kind of at the heart of all of this, which when we talked about the love of God, it was always in the context he gave himself for me, Paul said, for us, and for the church. It's pretty remarkable. Anybody else, anything on kindness? Put on, Colossians 3.12, put on kindness. Put on is like actually putting on, <coughs> put on clothes today where you're supposed to clothe yourself with kindness. Let's go to perfection number three. And this one might take a while, but I promise some of the rest, there's 15 to go and you're saying you're gonna do two a week or whatever. I think we'll be able to get some of the other ones later. But I wanted to, spend quite a bit of time on jealousy, being jealous, love is not jealous, because there's so much on it in Scripture, and because it's, I think, pretty pretty relevant to, to all of us. So, somebody want to take a shot at what it means to be jealous. Think of envious, 
of what you perceive others have. Envious of what you perceive others have. Yeah. It's interesting you say perceive that they have. Somebody else was, I think. Wanting what the other person has, well, maybe that's more covetousness, but it's also it's, it's envy, it's jealousy because I don't want them to have it. Exactly. But I don't have it. Yeah, that probably is as much that gets to the kind of the core of it. You, you're upset that somebody else has something that you either wish you had or you wish they didn't have. You're not glad for them. Ooh, sometimes that kind of that can hit home. So now Paul turns to, we had love is patient, the positive love is kind. Now he turns to some negatives. Love is not jealous. So before we get done here today, I'd like to look at, well, if it's not jealous, love is what? What's the opposite of jealous? Whatever that is would be what love is. So we'll take a look at that. But again, from Precept Austin, a couple of... of uh, descriptions and maybe from somewhere else but I think they're all these are all from precept Austin jealous is to have boil uh, it's a zeal to turn from something and boil uh, to bubble over from getting so hot and figuratively to burn with zeal or intensity to be fervent to boil with envy to be jealous it can be used commendably to refer to striving for something or showing zeal that that word is used the zeal of the Lord uh, is used in a, in a positive way. The idea is to be deeply committed to something with the implication of a company desire to be earnest, to set one's heart on, to be completely intent upon. Whether zelo is constructive zeal or destructive envy depends on the context. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it's clearly used in a bad sense of a hostile emotion based on resentment which is heated or boiling with envy, hatred, or anger. So in context in 1 Corinthians 13, they were jealous of or despising the fact that other people in the church had gifts they didn't have, and they weren't happy about that. Like they weren't happy about somebody that was up front uh, interpreting tongues or speaking in tongues or preaching or foretelling uh, the word, uh, speaking forth the word. So they were upset that somebody else had boiled over with resentment the fact that somebody else had something that they, they wanted. In the bad sense, zelo can be manifest in two forms, one which a person sets their heart on something that belongs to someone else, or a second form in which one has an intense negative feelings, has intense negative feelings over another's achievement or success. I think that's really common when like people get jealous that their neighbor is having uh, some success, they're achieving something, they made the newspaper, they're being honored, and I'm not, but they are, and I wish I had that, and I wish they didn't have that, probably is the core of it. I like what this guy Linsky said. Because he puts it in a in a positive sense. When love sees another prosper, when when love sees another prosperous, rich, high, gifted, it is pleased and glad of his advantages. Love never detracts from the praise that is due another, nor tries to make him seem less and self seem more by comparison. 
So I thought it was really putting it in a positive way. So when you see someone who's being honored, they're successful, their gifts are being used and practiced in a good way, uh, you don't detract from that. You're actually pleased by that and glad by that. And I think that really comes down to whether or not we have love or not. Can I say that about my brothers and sisters that I'm glad and I'm pleased when they're doing well in their teaching or they're doing well in their discipleship or they do well in their relationships with people? Am I pleased about that? Or do I wish they weren't that way? Well, the practice of the world is the opposite. The negatives used in Paul's description suggest corresponding positives. Instead of being envious, love is satisfied with its own portion. This is a key statement. Satisfied with its own portion and glad of another's greater portion. Yeah, I just think about the, the Philadelphia Eagles after the Super Bowl. And uh, I get it that they were disappointed. But the thought of any of them being glad for us doesn't even seem possible. See what I'm saying? So I, I guess there's times that, how does that work? Can you be glad for, for Patrick Mahomes if you're Eagles? I, the Eagles probably have an easier time than the Cincinnati Bengals, I think. Oh, <laughs> anyway, I think, but you got a good point. I, and yet, as a Christian, you can't be hateful and in your heart, even in sporting events. I mean, where does it stop? At some point, we have to say, okay, you know, the holding call or whatever. You know, you just. I, I the holding call there at the, at the, at the end, yeah. So. I, it was a holding call yeah. if you're a Chiefs fan. That to me is a real challenge. <laughs> yeah, so this makes us an unusual group of people because yes. we are actually glad for... We have to be. We have to be. I mean, we don't want to be, but we have to be. Yeah. Now, we won, okay, but if, if it had been the opposite, we need to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, humbly. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's remember that. <laughs> yeah, just saying. Why us? Yeah. Guys only? <laughs> but Not just the guys. Mm -hmm. well, I, I watch. Football probably would be guys more. You know. well, yeah. Guys in a generic sense, right? Or no, gen in generic, yeah, yeah. all of us. All yes. of us. Yeah. But I, I just brought that up because I do think it's something we, we, we'd like to see athletes be a little more humble. And I get it. We're, that's not usually possible. But. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice? No, I didn't recognize that I was jealous until I, I was reading Unmet Expectations and she was talking about contentment. And are you content with what God has given you and are you content with what God has given them? And if you're not, then you're jealous. Mm -hmm. You're upset that God hasn't given you what he has given them. Yeah, so we are going to actually, you, I don't even think I got it in my notes here, uh, but we're going to spend some time on the opposite of being jealous is content. You already got, got to it, so it's, it's a lack of contentment that, that causes us, we're not content with what we've been given, with what our station in life, the gifts God's given us, the spouse God's given us, the children God's given us, the job He's given me, whether it's riches or not, all of that. That's a really an attack on God. It is. Yeah. Exactly, Joe. He is not, he was not good to us. Yeah. Exactly. 
God's not fair. He's He's favored somebody else over me. And it's, you know, I think of Peter when you know, the Lord said, uh, you know, this is the way life's going to be for, for you. And he said, well, what about him? Referred to John. Like, what are you so concerned about John's life for? Like, you follow me, Peter. <laughs> like, you need to be content with what I've called you to do and quit worrying about this guy over here. Cain wasn't content, and it led him to a sin crouching outside his door. Long list of uncontent, discontented, jealous people in Scripture. Cain is one of the early ones, for sure. That will. Yeah, I can see that in socialist democrat policies where the 1% has to pay or whites are guilty of oppression so jealousy is used as a tool to stir people up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep and on the flip side of that too God is jealous the characteristic of God is that he wants our worship and if we're giving that worship to someone else he becomes jealous and it's not a bad thing Used in a positive, yeah. There's, there's definitely scriptures that point to the positive side of that. But when you look at those two, when it's talking about God, we sometimes I was reading a book, I can't remember which one, but it mentioned how sometimes we try to bring God's, um, God down to our standards and bringing God to a human level, which is wrong. Like God being jealous, desiring our worship is different, you know. Um, oh, it was uh, desiring God. That's what I was reading. Um, and so. Um, we cannot put God to the same standard of us as humans because he is God, he is almighty he deserves that worship versus we don't deserve that worship, right? So, um, and everything we're given is a gift of grace and even if we're not given much it's what we're given so yeah, he's God, he can he can uh, he's worthy of the worship we're not, even though we sometimes (laughs) act like we are so yeah, there's definitely the difference there. So it's not right for me to demand people to worship me, but it's, it's good and fair and right and loving of God to do that because that's the best thing for you to do that. Jealousy makes three major sin lists in the New, in New Testament. Uh, some definitions that, that I liked. In addition to the ones that you have written down there, uh, one from John MacArthur, the verb means to boil over and refers to boiling over of a selfish passion, a jealousy related to what someone else has and you don't. And this is how it was in the Corinthian church. They had things that they wanted and then also other people had things that they wished they wouldn't have had. Remember in the Proverbs where it says about don't be happy when your enemy stumbles don't, don't rejoice over the fact that somebody that you don't like because the Lord might turn that around on you. So the opposite of that is you are glad that uh, you're not glad that they stumble. You actually love them in a way that you wish that wouldn't have happened to them instead of you're glad that it happened to them. So the Corinthians were saying you're... Paul was saying, you're jealous. Uh, you're jealous for the showy gifts, the prominent up front things. Uh, Proverbs 14.30, I don't think I have that down, but let's turn there for just a minute. This is a... It 
This is an interesting scripture. Somebody want to read that? Proverbs 14.30. Um, you said 14.30. Mm -hmm. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bone rot. Hmm. <laughs> so question can somebody be sick with envy and jealousy <clears throat> yeah that's what that's saying it was Shakespeare who turned the um, green with envy you've heard that before green with jealousy and it's, it's, a, it's a look that somebody has it's they're actually physically ill from their distaste that somebody else has something they wish they didn't have or they wish they had something that somebody, it, it, it can be very possessive and all-consuming and actually cause somebody to be ill. I totally accidentally bumped into this one time when somebody was talking to me and they talked about how they didn't feel that well and but didn't have any they didn't have any physical reason not to. It had just been, it was the Spirit's work that that morning I'd read this verse. And so, as a really novice scripture user, at that time, a long time ago, just said, well, do you have a problem with envy or jealousy? And they did. So it was just like scripture's work. Like that's as a practicality, sometimes when you are counseling other people, think about that, that the relationship between the inner man and the outer man is, is such that it could be this lack of love. And that's why I think this section on love is so practical from a counseling standpoint because the answer to so many issues is love, biblical love. But yeah, we can get sick from envy. It's all we can think about and, and really get carried away with it. Uh, Proverbs 27.4 says this, Anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. And some translations will say, who can stand before jealousy? The answer is, you just can't. It's just, it's... So, anger is cruel. Think about this in wrath or... Malice is like a flood, but jealousy is more dangerous than a flood or a cruel person. Is that text saying that wrath and anger are predecessors to an external or an internal jealousy that it, it, it overpowers both of those things? Are they associated? Or uh, they're probably associated, but I think it has more to do with just degree. Like. Oh, okay. Uh, you think anger bad, you think wrath bad, but jealousy is unstoppable. I was going to say the, but it talks about the anger being like a flood, and so I took that as it's, it comes upon you fast, it's, it's like immediate, whereas jealousy seems to 
fester. And I wonder if the um, green with envy has something to do with gangrene. It's there for a long time, mm -hmm. and, and it's festering. Mm -hmm. So it's more under the under the radar, whereas a lot of the anger is very volatile and you see it. Could be. It's because of the word flood in there. That's why I, I guess that's all I thought. Talks about the, the force of destruction that jealousy can bring. MacArthur says that jealousy produces bitterness, bitterness produces hatred, hatred produces lies, lies produce strife and chaos, undermines the work of God. A loving person, on the other hand, rejoices in everybody else's success, rejoices in everybody else's giftedness celebrates when others do the same thing that he does better. So I, somebody's doing something that you do, like if you're a good singer, somebody does it better, you actually rejoice in that in the church. You're not jealous of that, you actually rejoice in that. I think a good example would be Saul with David. That led to that jealousy. <coughs> mm-hmm. That is a really good one. And Saul's jealousy of David is the exact opposite as portrayed by whom in his family. I think the best one of the best examples in Jonathan. scripture. Jonathan. Like he knew that David is going to be king, not me. Jonathan should have been. And who was David's best friend? They were soul buddies. Protected him. That's Big love. Contrast, wasn't it? Huge contrast between father and son. Yeah, yeah it's, it's quite a quite a story. I was gonna look at my notes here. I think I'm gonna spend just a little bit of time reading some of Wayne Mack's thoughts on jealousy, just because I thought they were they're really uh, good and appropriate. He says that envy or jealousy consists of a disposition of dissatisfaction or life over the fact or thought that someone seems to be ahead of us or above us or superior to us in honor, position, respect, success, possessions, or effectiveness. So I thought that was very good. Jonathan Edwards said it's very common that men cannot bear a rival they love to be singular alone in their eminence and advancement. And such a spirit in scripture is called jealousy or envy. Alexander Strzok wrote this about jealousy. Churches can envy other churches which are larger or are growing more rapidly. Missionaries can envy other missionaries who, ate, who are more fruitful or better supported. Bible study leaders can envy more popular Bible study leaders. Singers can envy other singers who sing more often or who receive louder applause. Elders can envy fellow elders who shine more brightly in leadership, ability, or knowledge. And deacons can envy fellow deacons who serve more effectively or are sought out for help more frequently. So that's just putting it on a practical level in the church. So this green with envy, I thought he had a good comment here. He talks about a guy named Mariano 
who writes about what envy did to a certain person that he knew. This man was an envious man, was always wearing a sour expression. Day by day, people would ask him, why are you so depressed? Is it because something bad has happened to you or has something good happened to someone else? Envy feels frustrated by the talents, happiness, and success of others. It boils over, that's the meaning of this word, but such is a generosity of love that it puts aside all envy and is glad to see others glad. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, jealousy will destroy a person's usefulness for Christ. Our usefulness for Christ will be destroyed by a jealous, envious spirit. And make no, make no mistake about it, God withholds His blessing in terms of useful, usefulness from those who are jealous or envious. So those were some thoughts from Alexander Strzok. We've got about five minutes, and I wanted to get to the flip side of jealousy. Like, what's the cure for jealousy? So Bridget, back to your example. For you, it was contentment. contentment. And that's exactly right. If we were to think of the opposites of uh, jealousy, that would be right up there at the top. Yes, contentment, satisfied, unresentful, a peaceful calm. When talked about a tranquil heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bone. That's a contrast <coughs> between the envy, jealous person, and the one who is tranquil and content. There's a peacefulness, there's a calm, there's a tranquility. So it is a contented person that is a loving person. They are content with their state in life. Wayne Mack goes to one of the Proverbs that said the three things are never satisfied. Now, Sheol, the barren womb, the land is never satisfied with water, and a fire that never says enough. He says that jealous people are that way. They're never satisfied. They're never content. Then he flips it on the positive side. We're looking at the positive side now. Love is not jealous, but love is content. Paul says that the person who really loves God and others won't be like that, <clears throat> won't be the one who's always wanting more. <clears throat> he won't be in a constant state of dissatisfaction. He won't constantly be thinking that he needs and deserves more. That's kind of the culture we're in. I deserve more. I, I'm owed this. That's the. They don't think that way. Wishing he had something newer and bigger and better, or thinking that he had, must have more money, a better position, more honor, success, prestige, a newer automobile, more things, more love and respect from people, or more talents or abil abilities. Let's face it. Some people are like a broken record, saying, "I want, I need, I deserve." That's the way an envious person thinks and destroys the person's ability to love others because he's all wrapped up in himself. And here's the scriptural basis for contentment. <laughs> Philippians 4, 11 through 12, Paul says he's learned to be content, whether he's abounding, whether he's being respected or honored, or whether he's being abased, whether he's being put down and criticized. Can an, honest, in, or can an envious person honestly say that? They can't they're not satisfied. Paul said 
Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He was content, and his contentment was ultimately in Christ. Um, Wayne Max says, when I find my sufficiency or completeness or satisfaction in Jesus, I'm freed up to really love people. That is really a true statement. If that's where you find your satisfaction, you have no reason to be jealous of others who seem to have more honor, position, prestige, or money. You already have everything you need in Christ. When we find our sufficiency in Jesus, we don't have to depend on people or circumstances, circumstances to be happy or content. We don't have to prowl around constantly looking for someone to prop us up because Jesus is already propping us up, propping us up. If Jesus is filling you up, we don't need to constantly search for someone else to fill us up. So, contentment is the flip side, and I wanted to get to that before we got done with jealousy because I think it's <clears throat> good to look at the positive side of the negative that love is not jealous. Anybody got any comments or questions? Because we're running up against 10 o'clock. There's a few other things I would like to have said, but running out of time. Do you guys have any comments on jealousy? Love is not jealous. Hopefully you got a nugget or two to take away from today. Like this is a specific application to my life. This is where I can be a loving person and live out the perfections of love. Okay, we will take up bragging, Lord willing, next time.